Why does the Torah start with the story of creation instead of telling us about mitzvahs, which is ultimately what the Torah is all about? Rashi says, it's that we will know that even if there are claims against the Jewish right to the land of Israel, we'll defend those claims by saying, Hashem created the world and we have not stolen your land. It belongs to us and is ours eternally. The only thing is that Rashi words it in such a way that this is actually a message not to the world, but to us, which means that there is a spiritual message about spiritual areas that we may feel don't belong to us. And the Torah wants to reassure us that not only do they, but they're a key part of how we serve Hashem. Al-Bereshah's Bora Elikim, the first passage in the Torah, which says that Hashem created the world in the beginning, maybe Rashi Befirushai, es ma'morosh Rabbi Yitzchak. Rashi famously quotes the words of Rabbi Yitzchak in the Medrash, that that the more appropriate, apparently, place for the Torah to start would have been with the first mitzvah, the mitzvah of the Jewish calendar, which was given to the Jews in Egypt. Matam posach bivereshis. Why did it begin specifically with bereshis? Mishum because, as the pasuk tells us, koyach ma'isiv higid liamoi losis lehem nachlas goyim. That Hashem wanted to tell His nation about His great actions in order to give us the inheritance of nations. Umavoy Rashi explains that the Torah wanted us to be able to have a ready answer to the claims by the rest of the world, that we are thieves, God forbid, because we conquered the lands of seven nations. So, so um, they, the Jewish people, are going to respond. We're going to say, the whole world belongs to Hashem. They created And they chose to hand over the land to who he saw fit, and he gave us Israel. The way that Rashi words it, this is an issue of why the Torah starts with Bereshis. And that's actually, Rashi is using different language to some of the Midrashim that say, that it wasn't necessary to write the Torah first with the story of Bereshis. And they say, why does the Torah write about Bereshis? But Rashi doesn't say that. He says, the emphasis of he has, why does the Torah start with Bereshis? That tells you Rashi is not just quite questioning why generally all the story of creation belongs in the Chumash, which is really a book, the Torah is really a book of instruction. But the emphasis of Rashi's question is, this does not seem to have been the place that the Torah should have started. Because logic would have dictated that really where the Torah should have begun should have been with the first instruction given to the Jewish people to have a Jewish calendar. So what is the answer that he gives? That if the nations are going to claim that we stole Israel, that we have a response. So that implies that in order to debunk the argument that we are thieves for having Israel, Rashi is making it clear that it wouldn't have been sufficient that somewhere in the Torah it spoke about the fact that Hashem created the world. But Rashi is making it clear that this has to, for whatever reason, be the beginning of how the Torah begins with Tomoah. And that is strange because, Let's assume that the Torah had been ordered differently and we would have first been given the mitzvah of Achoydash and then later on told the story of creation. Still, we would have known, We would have known that the world belongs to Hashem and He decides who gets what. 
So why is Rashi convinced that that would not be a good enough explanation? And the Torah had to start with the story of Rashi's, not just illustrate the fact that Hashem controls the world. That's the first question. There's another thing we have to understand. The way Rashi puts it is that it really, the Torah really should have started with a mitzvah, if that's the fact. So that means that according to the principle, not just our logic, but according to the principle of Torah is all about, the Torah should not have begun from any other place other than a mitzvah, and it shouldn't have begun from Bereshus. In fact, is even a suggestion that the story of creation didn't have to be told in the Torah. Especially since Rabbi Yitzchak says, it was not suitable for the Torah to begin anywhere, except for which implies that this is actually something which should be non-negotiable. How could it be possible that because we're worried about some claim that the nations of the world may have, we're going to change the order of how the Torah really, really should be? And we add a section into Torah that apparently doesn't have to be there? Why? Why are we so concerned about public opinion? And we'll take that a step further. Because there were times in history where we had to defend the Jewish claim to Israel and we found other ways to do so. First of all, we could have had an oral tradition that was passed down through the generations which would have addressed the question of the Jewish rights to Israel because Hashem created the world and decided to give it to us. As many, many other areas of Judaism did depend on oral tradition. The Gemara even tells us, for example, that when the African nations came to Alexander the Great to complain that Eretz Canaan Shilonuhi, that they actually have the rights to Israel, not the Jews, used a different argument to get rid of them, saying the Torah calls you slaves, whatever slave has belongs to the master, you have no claim, and it was so overwhelming for them, they ran away. So he didn't, and likewise, he had a ready answer for the Ishmaelites that came along to claim that that the Torah that that Israel belongs to them. And he also didn't have to have the pasuk beraishis borelekim or mizemashma, which implies that all alludes to the fact that actually the Torah beginning of the story of creation is not just simply to allay the complaints of the of the nations of the world. It's because it's something relevant to us as Jewish people. It's relevant to how we understand and observe Torah and how we serve Hashem. Which also, by the way, explains the pasuk that Rabbi Yitzchak uses. What's the pasuk? That Hashem wanted to show the power of His actions to His people, not to the nations of the world. To give them the inheritance of nations. There's nothing in there that sounds like a response to the nations of the world. If anything, it sounds like an instruction to us. 
implying that this message is a message relevant to the Jewish people. That we shouldn't in our own minds see ourselves as some kind of thieves because we have the land that previously belonged to the seven Canaanite nations. And say from the right at the beginning, the Torah has to tell us, So we've got to work out what is the very important lesson to us in terms of our spiritual service of Hashem that caused the Torah to be written in this particular order. And the only way to understand it is through the lens of Hasidus. So we'll learn it through something that Tzemach Tzedek taught. The Tzemach Tzedek says that the the uh, conquest of the seven nations is not just talking about the concept of there were nations and we overran those nations, but the Tzemach Tzedek says it's actually talking about how the Jewish nation conquers the world itself, the physicality of the world, and transforms it into holiness. When we take those things that the Torah permits us to engage with in this world, money, food, etc. We conquer those things because we don't allow them to exist in their default state. We say a bracha, we make sure that we use the energy in a positive way, we give tzedakah, etc. So we elevate, we conquer something that previously was purely materialistic and we give it a holy value. And in doing so, we schlep those items out of the jurisdiction of the non-Jewish world and out of the jurisdiction even of the neutral but secular world. And what we do is we transform something that previously was just neutral and mundane and we turn it into something which is holy and sometimes even the holiest of the holy. And it's the pushback against that from the nations of the world is you're thieves. The mundanities of the world, the secular elements, the materialism of the world belongs to the non-Jewish world. They don't necessarily have to be negative, but they certainly are mundane. And therefore the nations of the world say this stuff belongs to us. So you guys are trying to control the banks and trying to control the media, whatever. It actually belongs to us. As the Medrash discusses that in the struggle between Yaakov and Esav, they split the worlds between them. Yaakov not Esav got all the materialism of this world and Yaakov took the investment in the next world, which is spiritual. Which is why the nations of the world say, if you as the Jewish people are going to engage our domain, you're going to engage the material world and turn it holy, you're actually stealing from us. This is what's being addressed at the beginning of the Torah. And therefore every single thing that exists comes from Hashem. They created everything. Everything belongs to Him and He dispenses as He sees fit. The fact that before the Jews get involved in our avoida, there are things that belong to the nations of the world, or at least belong to the mundane areas of the world. That's because they actually decided that that is how the journey will begin. They wanted because of the Chet Eitzadas, where the entire world was degraded from its original pristine spiritual state. Therefore, there are going to be things that are antithetical to holiness, or at the very least, void of holiness. But it was all part of the greater plan, which is that we should then wrest the control of those things from impurity and allow them to become holy.
The Abishta wants us to be able to transfer things from being in a domain which is self-serving and mundane into a domain which is altruistic and holy. As things were before the Chet Eitzadas, where everything was pristine and holy, except now it's not going to happen just because it's a function of Hashem's creation. It's going to happen because it's a function of our effort and conquest. And that's why the wording that Rashi uses over here is that the Torah should not have begun from any other place except Why? Because he's talking about Torah. Torah is aloof from and completely beyond the realities of our world, including the powers that create our world. And therefore, actually, Torah is completely beyond that struggle that we have to go through to engage the material world and elevate and transform it into something healthier and better. And you can see this in, in the human experience. Let's say that a person is engaged in Torah learning, which is probably where you'll see it most pronounced, even when a person is doing a mitzvah. At the time that you're studying Torah or doing a mitzvah, you're completely invested in that experience. You're in a holy space and you're aloof from the natural experiences of the world. Whereas when a person is in the office or out at a restaurant or whatever the case is, even if that person is completely focused on doing whatever they're doing in order to serve Hashem, the expression is, all your deeds are directed heavenward. They're still your deeds. You should know Hashem in all your ways. They're still your ways. It's still part of what I want as a human being who is self-interested, driven by an animal soul. And I'm just kind of putting on a little bit of garnish of dedication to Hashem. Or maybe a lot of garnish. Or maybe complete dedication to Hashem. But it's still my stuff. So what's the message? The message is, we shouldn't feel that we're stealing from the world by elevating things to holiness. It's what they wanted. But there's still a question. In fact, the question we originally quoted is actually now a stronger question. This principle is really important, that we have to have the opportunity to turn the mundane into holy. Fine, got it. Why is that the beginning of the Torah? Because, as we have just noted, Torah mitzvahs are a far superior spiritual state than engaging the muddiness of this world in order to make it holy. Of course, the Torah has to address this and tell us it's part of how we serve Hashem. We have to actually be able to elevate the world. And we're not thieves for trying to do so. But why would that be the intro? Why would that be the, the segue into the whole Torah? Because if something is placed in priority order in the Torah, it's because it's in priority order in terms of its value. So why? The Rebbe will give one explanation and then he'll give us a deeper explanation. So one explanation will be as follows. Yes, if we were to make a pecking order of all the different ways that a person can serve Hashem and, and how they are in a spiritual hierarchy, the avoid of conquering and transforming the world, which is what Hasidus calls the avoid of refining the sparks of the world, it is certainly at a lower spiritual tier, tier than when you're learning Torah and doing a mitzvah, which is absolutely holy. 
Nevertheless, we come mock him. We do know, though, that the Abishta's intention for creation was not that we would float around in a spiritual world, even if that world was about Torah mitzvahs, but that we would make a home for Hashem in the lowest of the low. And low means lowest. There is no lower. And the way that you get into the lowest realms and transform that into holiness is achieved in far greater measure by engaging in the mundane world and making it holy than by doing a mitzvah or studying Torah, which is already holy. Because that allows us the opportunity to really drill down into those things that belong in the domain and the precinct of the human being that is, the lowest of the low. And the truth of the matter is, you could even say from our own development as spiritual beings, engaging the world is not just to fulfill, I mean, of course, the most important thing is it fulfills Hashem's ultimate purpose for creation, but the impact on us is also a deeper impact. In order for a person to successfully transform their ordinary activities into holy activities, it takes a lot more effort and a, a far deeper perspective of self than to do a mitzvah or to study Torah. And to have the effect that even when I'm outside of the domain of holiness, I'm not sitting in a shul or at a shir or doing a mitzvah or davening, but I'm out there at the coalface and still connected to holiness. And I'm doing all of those so-called mundane activities in such a way that you can feel this connection to Hashem and not only that it's L'Shem Shemaim for a greater purpose but I acknowledge and experience Hashem in the actions themselves there's no question that a person has to have a deeper degree of fear of heaven in order to be able to do that to be in a, an environment where we're held by holiness and do holy things it's not so surprising doesn't mean I have to dig so deep but to be in an environment which is antithetical to holiness and still be doing holy things means I have more resource. So the person has to be really bound up with their connection to Hashem so that they don't feel weakened at all at the time that they're doing what Hashem wants. So perhaps that's the reason why the Torah begins by telling us about Bereshis. Because the ultimate purpose of creation, which is that Hashem should be housed in the lowest of the low, is achieved not through mitzvahs represented by HaChodesh HaZelochem, but actually through Bereshis Bara, which represents getting our hands dirty in the world and transforming the world into something holy. It's a beautiful explanation, but it doesn't give us the whole picture yet. The fact that Rashi also tells us that the reason the Torah began with Bereshis is in case there's an accusation against us that we're stealing the land that belongs to the nations. That illustrates to us that had the Torah not started with the story of Bereshis, Meaning, even if the story and the message of Bereshis were shared later in the Torah, there would have been the scope, the possibility for a complaint by the world that we have stolen something from them. 
The way we've just explained it, that the ultimate purpose of creation is doesn't explain how that negates the complaint that we are stealing things that don't belong to us. All that explanation has told us is why is actually a greater achievement in many regards than we still have to know how this putting Parashas first negates the complaint that the world would have. And of course, in order to do that, we have to understand and appreciate what the complaint is. Now we're going to see this revolutionary insight that the Rebbe gives us that when it comes to transformation of the world, there are two areas which we could transform. Up until this point in time, we pretty much had a clear idea what we were talking about. Oh, of course, there is a broad teaching in Hasidus that we've got to turn the world into a home for Hashem. And that means that things which are fundamentally spiritually neutral and mundane, we've got to make them holy. Okay, why would the world complain about that? No, there's a deeper level that we have to achieve, which really does upset the apple cart. So what do we have? We have two things. We have things which are permitted by the Torah, but not automatically holy. And the way that we transform those things into holiness is with intention. So we earn money in order that we can help our fellow Jew, in order that we can make a difference to the world. And we eat in order to have the energy to be able to do Torah mitzvahs, etc. So we're taking mundane things and making them holy. And of course it goes without saying that by studying Torah and doing mitzvahs, we achieve a similar thing of transformation of ourselves, of our brain, etc. The hand that gives tzedakah, all of that to become holy. But then, there are things that are outlawed by the Torah. And those things are powered by absolute klipa, which has no granule of good in it. Needless to say, even the most rotten thing that exists in the world has to have a divine spark somewhere inside it to allow it to be and to allow it to live. Because everything can only exist because of a link that it has to holiness. It's just that whatever spark of holiness is inside those toxic environments is completely hidden and inaccessible to, to, to us. And therefore the Torah says, don't go there. It's just that on the very rare occasion, if not the majority of times, and the Torah generally addresses majority of possibilities. On the rare occasion, even those really dark corners of the world can also be elevated. Through being overwhelmed by something really positive. Or as the expression goes, when a person does the ideal form of tshuva, which is driven by love of Hashem, they can then turn things which were originally deliberate rebellion against Hashem into credits of closeness to Hashem. But by and large, anything that falls into that category is forbidden. Why? Because we don't have the capacity to turn it into something holy, which is the purpose of creation. Therefore, stay away. With that information, let's go back now to what Rashi is quoting from Rabbi Yitzchak. Where's the main complaint against the Jewish people that we are so-called thieves? At least from the spiritual perspective. It's in that arena. There's actually a logical basis within the Torah for the argument that says you're a thief for stealing from Klippa. 
Because the Torah tells us very clearly, stay away from those places or those things because the Torah doesn't give you the roadmap to be able to elevate them. Therefore, you can't get involved. All the Torah instructs us in that regard is, steer clear. Which means that the Torah has endorsed the fact that those are areas of life that are not in our domain and they are in the domain of other nations. They're not for us. Therefore, let's say that the Torah had been written in the way that appears to make logical sense. First, tell us about what we have to do as Jewish people, and all the mitzvahs that follow. And then eventually you can tell us the bonus information, Barashas, that the Ebesha controls the world. In fact, the way that Rabbi Yitzchak words it is that from the Torah's perspective, the only appropriate way for the Torah to have been presented should have been first a mitzvah and later Bereshus. That means to tell us that let's assume that the way we were supposed to conquer and transform the world would be solely through Torah mitzvahs. So, then, once we get involved in the, the dark parts of the world, that's, a, that's theft. Because the Torah is telling us, we have to draw close to Hashem through Torah mitzvahs. And we're going beyond Torah mitzvahs, doing things we shouldn't have done, doing tshuva for those things, because that's the classical way where you extract those nitzvahs out of the darkest, deepest, most toxic environments. And then the nations of the world say, but you're stealing. That was not your mandate. You were supposed to just make a holy world, not transform the darkest of the dark into light. To address that and tell us that, yes, actually to be Jewish includes and is very much about turning absolute darkness and negativity into holiness. That is why the Torah starts with Bereshus. The reality is that as far as the Torah is concerned, there is no hope for those sparks trapped in the world of Klippa. Therefore, the Torah only mandates steer clear. That's from the perspective of Torah. But when you're looking from the perspective of Hashem, who is no sein ha Torah, and therefore shalom ma'ilem Torah, Hashem is completely beyond the restraints even of Torah. The allows the possibility of tshuva, which means where a person has broken what the Torah said, now there's a way still to fix it. That when a person, David should decide that when a person does tshuva and that tshuva is based on love, their negative is transformed into positive. The very famous saying, famous Gemara that tells us that when they approached Torah and they said, what happens to a person who doesn't have the Torah didn't really have a real resolution, whereas the Ebesha does, do tshuva. Therefore, from the Ebesha's perspective, outside of and beyond the parameters of Torah, it is possible for a person to be able to do tshuva and thereby release and elevate those nitzaitis of Gedusha. Because after all, everything comes from Hashem. Including things which are forbidden, they're also from the Eibishtah. What allows something to exist, even if it is asur, forbidden by Torah, the fact that it's got a spark of holiness in it. Even the most toxic, negative, horrible things in the world are under Hashem's jurisdiction. 
And seeing as the Abishta's essence is completely beyond that which is openly holy and that which is hidden holiness. So therefore, even these sparks of holiness, which are very hidden sparks, where the, the godly light is completely hidden, they're one with Hashem. And that's what facilitates and allows a person the opportunity to be able to do tshuva, to elevate this part of the world, to connect to Hashem. The only thing is, we wouldn't know this unless it was expressed in Torah. Because the objective of Torah is to reveal. Torah is light to, to help us understand what's going on. Therefore, even concepts that derive from a place that is fundamentally greater than Torah itself. Those things have to be explained through Torah. So Tshuva has to be presented to us through the Torah, not through any other means. And that's why Rashi chooses a different way of explaining, expressing what Rabbi Yitzchak said from how other Midrashim said. Which is what the other Midrashim say. Versus Why did the Torah begin or open with Bereshis? If the goal was just to be able to elevate things that are mundane and materialistic, okay, the Torah at some point could have written about it and given us the insight and the guideline on how to do that. In other words, the thing, the concept, the idea had to be presented broadly in Torah. Because yes, there is an advantage to elevating the materialism and mundanity of the world, as even overdoing terimitzus, as we've described, and it digs deep and it aligns with what Hashem wants for the world. So yes, it's a level or a layer beyond Torah itself. Yet Torah facilitates that level and draws our attention to that level, and that all makes sense. But the whole idea of elevating sparks that are embedded in actual clipper, in the darkest of the dark, that's something that cannot be presented as how Torah works or how Judaism is mandated. Because even if a person says, I'm going to do an Avera now and Tshuva later, the impact is there, the blemish is there, there's, there's, there's issues. And that's why this concept of being able to transform the so-called lands of the nations, which refers to these absolute impurities, that's got to be written right at the introduction or the opening to the Torah, meaning even before you get into the details of Torah. Because the capacity we are given, the invitation we are given, to be able to transform these parts of existence into holiness has to derive at a level that is higher than the Torah. Therefore, how does the Torah tell us about it? By saying this is the introduction to Torah. This is even before you get into the details of Torah as Torah is. And that's what Rabbi Yitzchak is trying to tell us. Why does the Torah start with Bereshis to tell us the power of Hashem's actions so that we should be able to get the inheritance of nations? 
What it's telling us is that to us, the Jewish people, Nimshach was brought down because Higid is the Shein Amshach and Hasidus, it explains the concept of telling is the concept of bringing something from a higher to a lower reality. Like when you tell somebody something they wouldn't have already known. And therefore the Ebesha gave us the power of his deeds, meaning he gave us the capacity to be able to access the power, the divine spark in every single thing that he made, even those things that are completely clipper. How could that be? Because we and Hashem are fundamentally one. Our oneness with Hashem is even deeper than the oneness between Hashem and Torah. As the expression goes, that the Jewish people predate the Torah. And that's not a time, but a precedence or depth concept. Therefore, we, the Jewish people, have Hashem's energy within us, Hashem's power within us, which is greater than the power of the Torah, which allows and facilitates, which then empowers us to be able to turn the darkest actions into the greatest credits. But the reality, that's the concept. The reality is that the way that we serve Hashem is in Progressive stages. In Tshuva also has progressive stages. When a person starts out on their journey to serve Hashem. At the beginning of a person's Tshuva maturation, the Tshuva is still at a point where the person understands and appreciates that really what I've got to do first is get away from the bad stuff. At that time, the person could still feel a little bit uncomfortable and almost as if they're stealing something that does not belong to them. person thinks, I'm now taking something away that doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Klippa. I did bad. I embedded energy in Klippa. It actually belongs there. I should suffer for it, whatever that goes through a person's mind. So the person might still think, I'm stealing something that doesn't belong to me. But as a person progresses, and the person graduates to a higher experience of tshuva, as the Pasuk describes, where a person's spirit returns to Hashem, who created and gave that spirit in the first place. Where the person's tshuva is no longer a feeling of <coughs> escaping the bad and fixing mistakes, as much as reconnecting with the essence of who I am. Until the person really connects to the highest, highest level, <coughs> which is the, where I come from, from the Eibishter. That's where a person starts to actually feel the, the radiance of the Neshama as it is one with Hashem. So the impact that the person is going to have and the way that they're able to transform the negative into positive is also going to shift. The person starts to become comfortable with the principle that I'm no longer taking something that doesn't belong to me because everything is established as including those nitzitz of Kedusha that were hidden in such dark places. And then the person recognizes that the only reason Hashem decided that there should be such toxic places that hide that holiness within them was to facilitate us being able to rise as a result. Like the principle in Shabbos, that sometimes breaking is actually an act of construction because you've got to break down the old in order to renovate the new. 
we come to realize that the reason there are these hidden sparks of holiness is because Debishta wants us to be able to release and elevate them through our tshuva. Through that a person will be able to achieve the goal of tshuva, which takes a person to a level that even a great tzaddik could never reach. And therefore there's the principle that even a tzaddik will have the possibility of tshuva at some point. Certainly when Mashiach says, Mashiach is going to bring Tzadikim back in Tshuva. Like the Gemara in Shabbos tells us, that every single one of us, every single day, has to be engaged in the process of Tshuva, not feeling Shemzich, not feeling that we're taking something that doesn't belong to us, not feeling that we're somehow pulling out energy from a place where it doesn't, uh, you know, where, it's, it's, where so, so to speak, is being trapped and doesn't belong with us. And we'll be able to actually um, do Chuvah in a healthy way and in a meaningful way. And through that Chuvah, to be able to bring Mashiach now.